Welcome to the Black Theater History Podcast, where we seek to celebrate the people, the plays, and the rich stories of the American theater's African-American history makers. I'm KV Sane. It's been a while, listeners. <laughs> when we released our last episodes, they were ones recorded just before the country's first shutdown in response to the new COVID-19 pandemic. Once the summer hit and the nation was faced with the old pandemic of racism on top of everything else, both I and our sound engineer, SB, realized some new priorities. We took a break until this new year. Our next group of conversations are, as many things are these days, <laughs> via Zoom calls. While I'm eager to get back to interviewing Black Theater's great artists in person, we are glad for the means to continue sharing their stories. Enjoy. Greg Williams Jr. is a native of Baton Rouge and is the founding artistic director for New Venture Theater. He is a graduate of Northwestern State University with a BA in theater and New York Institute of Technology with an MBA in marketing. His professional theater background includes working with the Negro Ensemble Theater Company in New York, the Little Black Box Theater Company in New Jersey, and American Family Theater in Philadelphia, among others. After speaking with one of his mentors, Charles Weldon, at the Negro Ensemble Theater Company, Greg returned to Louisiana to cultivate support for the arts in his hometown through a new theater company that focuses on innovation and diversity, and New Venture Theater was born. Greg is also a playwright and has written over 10 plays, including Colored, Step Off, and Sweet Georgia Brown. His short play, Spice, was just featured as part of Voices from the Black during Black Theater Week, and he is currently working on his next piece, Talbert Beacon Presents His Latest, Greatest Gospel Stage Play. Professionally, Greg has been the Instructor of Theater Arts for Our Lady of Mercy Catholic School, is a theater consultant helping to launch diversity-based theater companies all over the country, and has helped develop and collaborate with over 20 organizations to help bring the arts to underserved areas of our community. In June 2011, the Louisiana Senate recognized Greg for his contributions to the arts in the African-American community. He is also an executive board member of the Black Theater Network and someone I simply love and admire. Greg, thanks for talking to me. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. I'm excited. I'm interested in this idea that you began your career as a singer and an actor. Talk to me about your origins. Where did you get started? Who were the people who led you and influenced you? Yeah, it's so crazy. So when I was born, my grandfather, who is the biggest light I think I've ever, one of the biggest lives I've ever had in my life, um, he actually started the first African-American Voting League in Louisiana. Mm. And so I was the first male child born into his grandkids. And I remember growing up, my grandfather had picked me out to be a politician. And from elementary school, every weekend, he was picking me up. I was hanging around politicians, um, learning the lingo, learning how it worked. And just somewhere along, along the lines, I was like, crap, I'm into the arts. Like, I remember... <laughs> being so scared about that because I had been born into this existence that I was going to be a politician and I was ready for it, but I just realized like I, I cannot deny this thing that I have. Mm -hmm. And so I had no clue what I was doing, <laughs> but I had told my grandfather and I never will forget, he never said more than three words. I was actually a little terrified of him 
but loved him at the same time. He's just one of those bigger than life characters. Mm -hmm. And he looked at me and I, before I knew it the next weekend, he was dropping me off at these acting classes at a local community theater here. And I walked in and kind of found my home. Like I, I just realized, whoa, this is, this is what I've been looking for. And in my grandfather's style, I had no business probably doing this, but after about a month of taking those classes, I started grabbing like the neighborhood kids doing terrible plays. Like I just wanted to get what I had taught. And so my grandfather had this brilliant idea. I don't know what he was thinking. He dragged me to a community center that a, a politician friend of his ran at the time, mm -hmm. marched me into a room and literally was like, you're going to start doing theater in this room. It was like inner city. I was 14 years old. KB, I, I, I had no business doing this. Um, <laughs> That's amazing. And he starts like grabbing kids. And I'm terrified, mind you. But he's like grabbing kids out of like, they had a little um, game center in it, a little library. And he's like, here are the kids, do something. And gave me a $500 budget. And he was like, do a play. So I mean, I've had to be plays on that as a grown-up. <laughs> right, right. But you know, that's the kind of person he was. Mm -hmm. He actually did that with all of his grandkids. If you said you wanted to do something, you better be careful because you were going to be thrusted into it. And so we did like what I thought. I thought you could rehearse a play in two weeks. I had, I had no idea. <laughs> it was terrible. But we actually did a play called The True Story of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer in two weeks in this room. Now, and did, you, did you make up the script? Was it something you found? Was it? I wrote it, but we kind of collectively wrote it together. Right. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> terrible, terrible. But like we kind of sold out and it was in this neighborhood that there were no arts. Like it was just nowhere to be found. So from that, the community center was like, we're going to start a theater program and you're going to run it. And I'm like 14 years old. And they managed the money. We just started to do, like we did Little Shop of Horrors. Um, we would do skits and plays and this and that. And I kind of developed this untraditional, non-traditional uh, method to approach theater. And so that's really how we got started. Uh, I was thrown into it. What, what made your approach, when you say non-traditional method, what made your approach to doing it differently? Aside from the fact that it didn't, wasn't bred from training, but yes, how, what did you do that was different? You know, and I think I, I had this fear because while I loved that process, I ran out of tools. Like I had ran out of tricks mm -hmm. and I was like, I kept feeling like I've got to grow or this is not going to be anything more than what it is. Did you have and a high so, school teacher that you studied with or was it just the people at the community theater in town? It was just with the uh, community theater in town, but it, it got to the point where the program at the community center got so big. I was teaching classes, doing shows, and there just, there was little time for anything else. Mm -hmm. Um mm -hmm. Was, it made me realize two things. One, holy cow, 
there's a need for little black boys and little black girls to have access to this because mm-hmm. they didn't think that and same thing. I, I, I didn't know how to approach this and forgive me of this, but we were in the middle of the hood doing this. I'm not going to lie. This was like the owners would walk the kids homes uh, to home, mm-hmm. um, making sure we had a security guard outside and we were doing this this crazy art thing in this community center. And I, the best years of my life, because uh, I realized really anything's possible in theater. But I had to let it go um, because I knew I had to be whole. I had to develop. Mm-hmm. And I, I realized I was kind of cutting myself short. So went off to college. Uh, majored in it <laughs> in theater and I struggle KB because everything in theater tells you to be a performer to be a singer to be a dancer um, trust and I'm none of those things so I get it yeah 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 and you know I, I could sing um, I could dance and I would go on that stage and I would enjoy it but I wasn't thriving and I, I hadn't yet figured out I was a little terrified because I was like there's nowhere else to go that I, I don't want to be anywhere else but on this place that I'm at I just don't feel full I don't feel like this is my purpose yep um and so graduated <laughs> and did I think what everybody thinks you're supposed to do I'm gonna go and be an actor and moved to New York. And I think I hit the heaviest depression stage I've ever hit because I wasn't happy. I was working, I was doing it, but I realized, holy cow, I don't wanna be doing this forever. Okay. Uh, I wanna do theater, but not this. And so um, my aunt does a lot of work. She actually lives in New York. So I was staying with her and she is a huge arts buff, gives money to everybody. And so she got me to volunteer at the Negro Ensemble Company and this uh, little theater called I think New Jersey Little Theater. She basically was like, everybody you can get access to, <laughs> you're going to do it. And I would see Charles Weldon and the man would never speak to me. But one day I was like, it was like this little bitty office. I never will forget. I was just like, Typical New York, New York office. Yes. And offices are tiny. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And I cornered him one day and I was like, can I please just meet with you? And he was like, okay. And told his assistant to put me down for next week. And the next week I remember I was sitting there and I was just like, I told him, I said, I don't know what's going on. I have this purpose to produce theater but I have this purpose to produce theater in Louisiana and I feel like I'm here to get access I feel like I am a access point um, Mm. for people to recognize their talent and that terrifies me because everything tells me I'm supposed to be on Broadway (laughs) and he looks at me and I only remember him saying two words for me and that's do it the whole meeting I remember me he said some other stuff, but I only <laughs> remember him saying, do it. And it was the most nonchalant, but I was like, yeah, okay. 
So um, call my mom, call my dad, apologize for them spending thousands of dollars to send me to the <laughs> <laughs> New York in like school. And I was like, I'm moving home and I want to start a theater company. Um, please support me. And they were like, okay, come home. Hmm. Um, and the agreement was I had to go to business school. Right. Um, while I figured what was going to be what. So did that and that was the best pairing because it kind of allowed me to remove myself from the performance and understand the mechanics and understand producing and understanding uh, how to give access and sustainability, man. Um, mm -hmm. And then that's how I ended up in New Venture Theater. I know it makes no, when I tell this story, I'm like, I feel like one of those ping pong balls that's everywhere. It happens that way though. Yes. So I, I know that you spent a couple of years, I don't know, telling everyone and their mom that you were going to do this theater and talking about what it was and like being in the community, talking about the company before it existed. Yes. Um, for the folks who are listening who don't know New Venture Theater and haven't taken the time to Google it since we started talking, like what is, what's the elevator pitch? What's your three minute explanation of what New Venture is and what makes it different? At its core, you know, at the time I started this organization 13 years ago and I was sick and tired of what I considered to be the only Black theater narrative. Mm -hmm. uh, I thought that there at the time, that there was no new Black plays in the South. <laughs> Let me okay. say that. I, I could tell things were thriving up North, but I wanted to start a Black theater company that was bold. It was for us, by us, but it was unapologetically Black. And it was unapologetically representing, celebrating the old, but repping for that new community as well. Mm -hmm. um, and... That's honestly why I didn't pick a name Black this or Black that. I said, no, new venture. I always want to be on the cusp. I always want to be thinking, where are we taking this thing? Um, and I wanted to operate as if it is the biggest regional theater in the world. And so, you know, I, I wanted to make sure that the art that we produce was so damn sexy mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> that... Everybody, anybody wanted a piece of it, no matter what race you were. Right. So you, I mean, New Ventures established as this place for, and I will say diverse artists. I mean, it is black, mm. but like there, there's some diversity in the work that you do. And I do want to celebrate that. Um, but so, you know, you have this company that provides a space for black artists, particularly to tell stories and witness stories that speak to them, that speak to their experience. A lot's changed in the last 15 years in the American landscape and a lot has changed. I should, I didn't even say this in our intro that this is the first like Zoom interview that I've done. Yeah. Um, so, but it, 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 but it does put us um, you know, five years from now, when some hapless grad student is listening to this to document like, <laughs> the story of New Venture, um, I, I think it is important to note that like we are in this era of COVID and we are, um, you know, in a political uprising necessarily, right? Um, so, so much has changed since you founded this company. I mean, what what is next? What do you what do you see being next 
and this this is a big question. What do you see being next for New Adventure? What do you see being next for Baton Rouge, New Orleans, Southern Black Theater? You know, we're in a whole new world now. We are. There's a hope that I have for Black Theater. And I have a fear that it won't get there, but I pray that when we get back to things, Black Theater is there to bring joy mm. to the arts. We've got to stop constantly defending ourselves and writing plays that try to teach white people and the others why we feel the way we feel. Mm-hmm. I really want to write some plays, not write, but write and produce plays that put us in a room and just remind us, laugh. Mm-hmm. Um, you made it. Here's our shared humanity. Here's where we are today. And that is what I hope we start to see. Yeah, those political and cutting edge pieces and hip hop edgy pieces will always be there. But I want to make sure that we don't fall into that marketing gimmick of that being what Black theater has to be. That it doesn't have to teach. Doesn't have to teach. Doesn't have always have to teach. And um, God, remind people we're human. Like, right. we're full beings <laughs> outside mm-hmm. of your marches and the... <laughs> defending our rights no absolutely and i i mean i pray that the the scope of what theater seasons look like across the country changes you and i have had the conversation about do we really want more white theaters to be doing black plays or do we just need more black theaters to be bringing authenticity to the work i know it's a that's a that's a whole podcast episode its own but, but. Yeah, really quickly i get very frustrated when white theaters think okay we want to do a black play but we got to do something political like those two things don't always have to go together yeah. um and i think they need to really question themselves if they feel like that's the only way they can represent blackness in their season is through that lens and i mean i'll say like as a former white artistic director that there is that i hope that people overcome that need to need it to be important to mm-hmm. sell it to their board or to sell it to their audiences right. or do you feel what i mean like that that the stories can be authentic on their own and be funny and be like no one looked at neil simon and asked him to like talk about the importance of jewishness right like yeah, no exactly. one no one proposes the odd couple and says well you know it's really important that we <laughs> show the jewish experience like so I am eager. I'm eager to see that change. But Amen. to hear you to hear you talk about comedies, um, I just put together a Black Theater Lit syllabus, and I will say from the '80s on, like we we haven't had a lot of comedies in the last two decades. Uh, not in the way that I think some of those who really broke down some barriers were unapologetic. Right. Uh, again, they weren't trying to be produced in the Lort Theater. Yeah. yeah so yeah. there's that, <laughs> but. Yeah. Um, um, forgive me for, for stepping in and speaking, but um, I, I'm curious as a playwright, because you are a playwright and have written quite a few I things. I say I am a playwright. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and you've written a number of things, not just for your company, but I know that you do speak to your audiences in that way. And, and I 
I see them when they compliment you and tell you that it's time for you to write something new and that it's <laughs> we, we need a new holiday show, Greg, get on it <laughs> sort of thing from your After patrons. Every, like, yeah, uh, theater has that holiday show. <laughs> <laughs> well, where, where do you want to, where do you want to go as a playwright? I mean, what, what kind of work are you feeling inspired to produce right now? Or I say produce as a playwright, not as a producer, but also what do you think needs to be what stories are out there that you want to get into you know i realize the thing i loved about august wilson is that here's a guy who said i don't see what i want to see and instead of me complaining about it i'm going to create that space for it mm -hmm. and one of the frustrations i've always had is when it comes to black southern plays there's always this kind of either people want to retreat from that idea of slavery maids picking cotton you know this and that mm -hmm. or they don't know how to approach new work in the south because they think that we're still fanning ourselves with lemonade and so <laughs> you know i i want to offer myself because I, I hear those ancestors. I hear those women who were maids and, and that's my family. Mm. And so I, I have this calling to honor them in ways that I, I'm not seeing. And also to create a platform that showcases us in our fullness today in the South because there's so much brilliant theater coming out about new um, Black lives up North. Like, uh, what's the one I just uh, read? <laughs> Passing something, Passover? Like, oh, yeah. Over this and uh, there's coming out, but none of them represent the voices that I know. Right. In mm -hmm. deep Louisiana. And so I say, hey, you know, instead of me being angry, I want to create that space. I want to create those voices and, and get that out there because it's valid. And I think that it it honors, it's kind of a way to create legacy and to keep someone's story going. And in a weird way, I just hear this calling to write. All right. I say often in this podcast, um, from your lips to the internet's ears. Yes, <laughs> you know, let, manifest it, let, let it, let it be so. Um, I think the other thing that I really wanted to ask you about, um, you know, we were so lucky to have Indira on a, a couple episodes ago, uh, and it's frankly refreshing to get to speak with theater leaders. Um, and I feel like the arts administrators, uh, get get the this <laughs> the short pick, I guess sometimes they're not represented as well um, unless you are like the artistic director and um, I am seeing a number of even just Facebook posts in different groups and I'm feeling you're a consultant as well I'm sure you're getting the same requests that I am about like hi we would like to create this new theater company that actually is you know multicultural and you know I if I see BIPOC in writing one more time oh. uh, this week. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, what would you want to tell those who are, and, and I say specifically Black theater artists who mm. are thinking about making their own, creating their own companies. Um, what, 
what do you think they need to know? If you want to create your own company, A, you got to say, is there a need for it? And that's not always visible because a lot of times people have never had access to it, so they don't know they like it. And that, that's just the honest truth. Mm-hmm. And somebody told me this in business, and it used to scare me, but I, I get it now. If you have a passion to start the company or organization that moves beyond you, mm-hmm. then go for it. If it's a calling to really be an investment for a community that could possibly be something you've got to pass on to somebody else. Um, that I think truly is a calling to start a company because it's going to be sleepless nights. It's going to be you being a janitor, <laughs> lighting guy, you know, everything else. Uh, and if you don't have that fire uh, and it really is based in ego, which I, I hate to say this, but I think a lot of times actors say, I don't see the work I want to do on my resume. So I'm going to start a company to produce the stuff I want to see. Mm-hmm. And you do it and then you get mad and you say, you Black people don't want to support theater. Well, no, it never really was about Black people. It was about you. Yeah. Uh, so that that's really kind of, if you just stick to that, you know. What, you do what, do you, thing. what do you think about, and I ask this because I know you've had a very specific journey in the last few years. Um, 